friends, good morning. We gather for worship on the 15th of January as we reflect upon God's grace for each of us. We join to worship as we sing our first hymn, Where Morning Gilds the Skies. our first hymn. Friends, let us pray together. Creator, redeeming God, we bring to you the joys and the sorrows of our hearts, all that we are, and for a moment we breathe in your grace and we breathe out your praise. We pray that in this moment of worship we would draw closer to you listening to your word and to your voice, responding to your grace and to your mercy, and being changed to become more like Jesus. Jesus, thank you for walking amongst us, full of grace and truth, revealing to us the very heart and the very nature of God. We worship you. Holy Spirit, as you have hovered over all creation, as you are in the midst of creation, as you are part of our heartbeat and our breath. We pray that Holy Spirit today you would sustain us and lift us, enable and strengthen us. In praise and thanksgiving, gracious God, for your redeeming grace, we recognise our shortcomings and our failings words spoken and left unspoken, 
are actions which have betrayed and denied the gospel of peace and grace. Holy God, in this moment forgive us, we pray, that we would reveal your truth and grace to a world in desperate need of hope. We bring to you our prayers. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, who taught his disciples how to pray. And so, with thousands and millions of others, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We listen now to the word of God from the prophet Jeremiah and from the Gospel of Mark. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out to Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And a reading from Mark's Gospel. It's Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through to verse 24. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Should I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it, new in the kingdom of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we reflect on those pieces of scripture, we sing When I Survey.
Friends, last week, um, Phil, Reverend Phil Fanning, guided us through our Methodist Covenant service. We're going to explore that a little further this week. Last week, those of us who were gathered at various churches, and perhaps the week before, and definitely this week, as we gather at St Luke's, we will be recommitting ourselves to God's grace given to us and shown to us as we make our commitment through the covenant prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you. Brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant, now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. The history of the covenant prayer goes back centuries. Many churches celebrate uh, this service in January, others at September. The start of this new year. We think about the previous years, but also look forward to all that might happen this year. And we look forward and sometimes that's forward looking with joy and sometimes it's forward looking with pain and sorrow. John Wesley first conducted his first covenant service on the 11th of August 1755 when he renewed his covenant. John Wesley gathered with an estimated 1800 people. I'm not sure how many people are going to view this video but it won't be that many. But they, they were crushed into a borrowed room in the French Huguenot Church in Spitalfields in London. And as they gathered, 1755, then think about the tumult they faced in their lives. European wars, questions about monarchy and poverty, vast regional differences in these islands, troubles of every kind. And I don't think they made that covenant prayer lightly in 1755. And neither should we. It was a few years later, on Sunday the 1st of January 1775, that Wesley wrote, we had a larger congregation at the renewal of the covenant than we've had for many years. And I do not know that ever we'd had the greater blessing. Afterwards, many desired to return thanks, either for a sense of pardon or full salvation, or for a fresh manifestation of his grace, healing all their backslidings. In the same year when John Wesley celebrated his first covenant service, Samuel Johnson included the word Methodist in his version of the English language dictionary. And here is the definition he gave. See how it fits. He said, Methodists, one of the new kinds of Puritans recently risen, so called for their profession to live by rules and in constant method. It's not a definition that I find flattering, and nor is it one that I seek to emulate. No one would give, and Samuel Johnson saw Wesley as a friend complaining he never stayed to finish a conversation. So, so Samuel say he was with John, but he's always rushing off or was busy doing something else. 
Words matter. And how we use them matters. They form us over weeks and months and years. We use historical words so often that the language of Mark's gospel was about the communion service. This is my body. This is my blood. Words we say in the communion service invoke the strength of the presence of the truth, which is not dependent on our sayings, but is made visible by a life together and the grace of God. Each year I lead a covenant service probably three, four, if not five times. And there are times when I say the words of the covenant prayer through a, a deep sigh, certainly a deep longing. Perhaps if I'm honest, through clenched teeth, how can it be right to say, put me to suffering? Let me be laid aside or brought low. Doesn't that legitimise bad things and call them God's will? Or worse, seem to say that we accept bad things and call it obedience to God? Let's be clear, friends. This is not a prayer that accepts bad things and situations in our lives and calls them God's will. No, it's a prayer that recognises that when bad things happen, and bad things do come, they do happen, as well as the good things that come, that God is still with us. So when we're suffering, when we're laid aside, when we're brought low or empty, God is there and crucially is still coming. In abandoning ourselves to God, which we do today is we're choosing not to be taken over by any of the conditions that we might find ourselves in, because they're not the things that define us. In abandoning ourselves to God, which we do today, we are choosing not to be taken over by any of the conditions that we might find ourselves in today. They are not the things that define us. It was worth repeating that. This is the exact, exact opposite of endorsing bad things and calling them God's will. We are never called to be a doormat in the face of mistreatment or oppression. But this also means our job isn't done if we find ourselves full or exalted, nor ever that we give up hope in our suffering. We will never be conformed to this world. God will work for us wherever we start today. We're going to have a think about one particular word in that covenant prayer. Um, we gave our covenant last week, so I, I just wanted us to explore it a bit more. Uh, and that word um, I'll um, consider in a few moments. But I want us to explore this passage from Jeremiah. The very beginning of his ministry, God has given Jeremiah a task. I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And for some 40 years, Jeremiah was faithful to this calling prophesying that unless the people of Judah returned to God, the destruction of their nation was inevitable. And indeed, Jeremiah came to witness the utter defeat and dismantling of the nation at the hands of the Babylonian armies. All that he prophesied had come to pass. If you read the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah, you will find them unrelentingly in doom and gloom. And then suddenly and unexpectedly, at the beginning of chapter 30, the gloom lifts and there's a new message. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people. 
after all that uprooting and tearing, destroying and overthrowing, Jeremiah is now to build and to plant. And this change of tone continues to the end of chapter 33. And this part of Jeremiah is often referred to as the book of consolation or the book of comfort. Our reading about the new covenant is therefore part of the book of consolation, looks beyond the present desperate plight of the people to the time when God would heal their wounds, bring them back from the land of exile and restore the land. Even the covenant relationship between God and his people will be restored. At that time, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they will be my people. But how could a covenant relationship so utterly broken be restored? People had failed to live up to the covenant in the past. What guarantee was there that things would be any better in the future? And that text brings us to the verses in question. What do we learn about covenant from this text from Jeremiah 31? Firstly, and primarily, it's understood as relationship. Uh, the words used to describe the nature of those relationships are very interesting. I was their husband, says the Lord. Husband and wife, you don't get much closer in a relationship than that. Husband and husband, wife and wife, intimate relationship, mutuality and respect. And this is a point worth emphasising, because the term covenant in everyday use is primarily a legal word. It's a type of contract, a formal agreement, a promise or a pledge. A legal responsibility, not a relationship. The covenant that God makes is about relationship. The second, it's written on their hearts. What the people needed was not a new law or a change of the law, but a change of heart, that they might remain faithful to the relationship which God had called them and a change of mind so that they could live in the way God wanted them to live. So the first is relationship, the second written on their hearts, and the third thing that we learn about the covenant is that the initiative for making this covenant is totally with God. That's true for all the covenants in the Bible. They all begin with God. But there's something quite special about this new covenant. Even if God restores the people to the land, enables them to experience prosperity and joy and shows love to them again, they will not be enough. Something must change within the people themselves. Here, God promises to heal them from the inside out. God will change not only their outward circumstances, but their very hearts. Let's hear that again, this time in the first person, so we can hear it applied to us. Outward change, outward change will not be enough. Something must change within ourselves. Here God promises to heal us from the inside out. God will change not only our outward circumstances, but our very hearts. God takes the initiative. God does all the work. Left to our own devices, our covenant relationship with God is fragile and easily disrupted. For like ancient Israel, we're so readily tempted by the many false gods of our contemporary society and we find it so hard to put God's teaching into practice in our lives. But we're not left on our own devices. God promises to change us, to renew our minds, to write his word upon our hearts. 
that is grace. God offers us both a covenant relationship with him and the promise to change our hearts so that we can be faithful to that relationship. A new relationship, written on people's hearts, initiated by God, in fact, a gift of God. This is the covenant which we renew. We thank God that he not only offers this covenant relationship, but gives us the ability to keep it. And so, I'd like us to be mindful of one word today. It's a word that we use frequently, a word so vastly overlooked, of which is so important, and that word is Amen. It means literally, so be it. It's one of the first, I guess, holy words that a child um, learns when they're young, or a loved one in the midst of dementia will remember and say when other words have been lost. And the word Amen isn't just said by the minister, the leader of worship, the priest. It's said by us all. It's a response that God has heard. So be it. I'd like us today to consider the word Amen, whenever we use it, is a sign of our commitment to God. Every day that we are not defined by the condition of the day, but by God's grace. Every day and God's commitment to us every single day. The word Amen belongs to you. Don't let anyone take it away from you. Don't wait for someone else to say it on your behalf. Be mindful of it today as you say it. It isn't just a full stop at the end of a prayer, but a commitment to what God is already doing. Open-ended, restless. Our Amen says, so be it. It commits us to God's intentions. It's the intention of having a gracious heart when someone cuts you up, sends an ill-advised email, says something not nice, or what you look like. Preserving kindness at the end of a shift. The intention of prayer is reconciliation of brothers. When there's a time when no one needs to flee home because of war or poverty. These are intentions. Prayer purposes that God asks us to abandon ourselves to that is what a covenant is. All things to which I say Amen. We can say Amen because we do not rely on our competence or tolerance, wealth or intelligence, but on the grace of God. It's only grace that makes our Amen more than wishful thinking. That the Amen we say today makes a difference tomorrow morning. Take the memories of these readings with you this week, of Jeremiah and of Mark. They tell us things already that we know about how God is in our world. Hear what they're saying. Read them carefully, perhaps read them every day this week and closely. And maybe every time we say Amen, not just today, but tomorrow and in this year, it will provoke our conscience to let God move us ourselves closer to those intentions that God has. To maybe say that, as Samuel Johnson said, we'll commit ourselves to a method, a practice, a habit of life, a way of life. No rules, but grace that allows us to grow towards a vision that God has for this world. You see, words matter. What they mean, how we use them as we say the words of a covenant prayer, as we say the words Amen, we make a bridge between those first Methodists in 1755 and the future 
well, that we can only imagine. Whatever comes, whatever we face, the truth of grace and salvation is Jesus. And we say amen. Because when everything is gone, the words of Jesus Christ has spoken. Amen. The Holy Spirit will still brood over the face of the waters. Amen. And God's love song on the earth, which is transformational, will still be sung. Amen. I have no idea what God will build in another 250 years, as much as those in 1755 could imagine, but here we are. We can speak these words again today in confidence and invoke the strength of a living God and know the promise is from everlasting to everlasting when we say the words, Amen, Amen, Amen. So be it. May we be aligned to God's intentions, not our own. Amen. Friends, let us pray. We pray for your world, rich in beauty and diversity, yet in need in so many parts. We pray for peace, for war-torn countries, for oppressive dictatorships, for controlling gangs, for parts of the world in drought, and for other parts experiencing flood, for diseased countries, for those who feel they are rich beyond comparison, for those who think they're rich beyond compare, yet the poverty and poor in spirit divides communities. We pray for those who seek to make a difference. For those who work in emergency services, health professions, for police and fire, for coastal guards, for numerous charities that reach out to make a difference. We pray for those who work alongside those who have had to flee countries to find safety. For families where relationships have broken down. For those who grieve. For those who mourn. For those who miss their loved ones. For those who struggle in body, mind and spirit, that they would know your peace which passes all understanding. Holy God, may we, as we breathe in your grace, be aligned to your intention. May we surrender ourselves to you and understand the strength of the word Amen in our lives. So be it, Lord. So be it. Amen.
And so as part of our blessing, we listen, reflect on the words of the Gaelic blessing, deep peace. Friends, may you know the nearness of God as we are lifted, as we are laid aside, as we are exalted, as we are brought low. Amen. Amen. Deep peace.